Thank you, Bob. My coveted desire this morning for you young people being about 25, 27 years down the track from you is that in the next few minutes you can catch a glimpse of the amazing, unbelievable, exciting ministry that God has for each and every one of you. Now, some of you are sitting there right now saying, you mean, Daryl, you're going to tell me this morning what God's will for my life is? Yep, I'm going to do that. I didn't understand that when I graduated from Bible school. I'm not saying they didn't teach that. But one of my greatest struggles in life was trying to find out what God's will was for my life. I want to take you back to where you're sitting this morning in my own life. I was sitting where you were sitting about 25 years ago at uh, Biola, Bible Institute of Los Angeles, Biola, Biola University now. I was sitting there partially because I wanted to get away from home and stretch my own wings. I was sitting there partially because I was encouraged by my folks. I was sitting there partially because my dad was a pastor and I kind of felt like the only thing that would count in life is I, if I would go to Bible school and become a pastor or a missionary or something along those lines. I have almost every kid ask me, Daryl, did you know what you were going to be when you went to school? No. They next asked me, did you know what you were going to be when you graduated? No. Didn't have the foggiest notion. You know what I'm doing today? The same thing that I was doing part-time when I was in school to put myself through school. Twenty-five years ago, I don't know how it is out here. Maybe they pay your bills out here. But down in uh, the southern part down there, we, we had a reckoning time every month where we had to render to Caesar what was due. And we had to pay our bill or we couldn't stay in school. And in order for me to pay my bills, I started a little building maintenance company part-time. My wife and I would go out and clean accounts at night. We got paid 4 or $5 an hour for the service. And that enabled us to go through school. As I graduated, I knew that wasn't what God wanted me to do. I didn't get a degree to be a janitor, let alone a professional one. You understand? That certainly wouldn't please my folks. You can't please God as a professional janitor. You've got to end up in this, quote, full-time ministry somewhere. And I tried, to make the long story short, I tried about half a dozen times to escape this business. Tried a number of different businesses. And without going into the details, the Lord continued to hammer me back to what I was doing, to what I'd started doing part-time. Never had a thought of making it a career, of being a career. By the time I was 30, I was still involved in this business. I was in a service business. And I did a good job because I couldn't stand criticism. I had a poor self-image when I went through school. The reason I did was because my father was a minister when I was in junior high and high school. And that wasn't the most popular thing to be, a PK, in a secular high school. So I think the world of my dad today, don't misunderstand me, I think the world of him. But in those days when I didn't have as much sense, just have just a little bit more today, I grew up with a very poor self-image. Wished my dad would have been a lawyer, wished he would have been a banker, so on and so forth. By the time I was 30, my business had continued to grow because I couldn't stand criticism, so I did a good job. The customers continued to ask me to handle more accounts, referred me to other accounts, and as it grew, my wife and I no longer could handle all the business ourselves, so I began to hire some of the students that I went to school with to help out in the work. 
And as I say, a few years down the track, by the time I was 30, I was enjoying my own business, owning my own business. One of my dreams, by the way, of my childhood days. I'm going to be real frank with you. I was earning by the time I was 30, and I came from a poor preacher's family. Very poor. We had barbecued chicken on Sunday and chicken soup on Saturday night. And my mother had chicken salads in between during the week to stretch that chicken. She did a wonderful job with it. But by the time I was 30, I was earning a good six-figure income. Frankly, making more money than I knew how to spend. I was spending my free time looking for more thrills because I could never experience a thrill that was enough. My testimony this morning was that by, I, by the time I was 30, enough of anything was never enough. No amount of money was enough. No amount of success was enough. I started hunting mountain lions in my spare time on a ranch down in New Mexico that would come in and kill the cattle. I had a friend down there that had a ranch up in the, up in the high country, and he would call me when they'd get a mountain lion up out of Mexico that would come in and kill the cattle. And I loved to do that kind of thing. We'd go out and ride on mules and track. How many of you gals have ever done that? Oh, you've missed a thrill, let me tell you. In my spare time, I'd cut out down there and go do it. Well, that even lost its thrill. And finally went to lassoing mountain lions in the trees and yanking them down and tying them up. How many of you have done that? No wonder you haven't had a good time yet. In the same year, I would make a couple of trips up to Alaska in search of the largest... I love to go bear hunting. In search of the largest Kodiak bear in the world. Went up and brought three of them home in one year. And so that my wife could enjoy them, I mounted them all life-size and put them in our house. Because I wanted her to be as happy with them as I was. It's true. Enough was never enough. No amount of bears were enough. They never were big enough. No amount of success was enough. And suddenly... At the age of 30, amidst all of this, I was called to the bedside of my close cousin. He was my age at the time, 30, dying with cancer. That was a shock to my system. I never thought of death. I didn't think people die at 30. And this was a very close cousin. He was in the pastorate. And I came to understand that he had a relationship and an understanding of his relationship with the Lord that even though I'd grown up in a Christian home and even though I graduated from Bible school, I did not have. And the Lord spoke to me in a way 13 years ago standing at the foot of his bed that has continued to affect my life to this day. Because I stood at the foot of his bed two weeks before he passed away and I saw my cousin dying with a peace and a contentment that I didn't have living. I had my health. I had four healthy children. Had a beautiful wife. Had all the income I wanted. Had all the free time I desired. Had three life-size bears in my home. And a life-size mountain lion. And a buffalo and a few other things. We built the home of our dreams. Imagine, if you can walk in my shoes living the dreams of my childhood days and myself growing more discontent every day. In fact, I'll be this frank with you. 
when I couldn't fill that void with bears and lions and income and success and traveling around the world and even hunting tigers in India, I went to the doctor and he said, I'm going to prescribe Valium. And by the time I was 30, I was taking three tranquilizers a day because enough was never enough. As I stood there at the foot of Dave's bed and I saw him two weeks before he went home to be with the Lord, dying with a peace that I didn't have living. My heart cried out as never before to know the reality of the Lord in my life. Young people, I want to share with you that I even woke up one night at midnight and asked my wife after we'd been married about 10 years if she ever really wondered if she ever wondered if she was really a Christian. You see, I knew that I was about as miserable as anybody else. Now, I know you're not miserable and I'm not telling you you're going to be miserable when you get out there. But when you leave these days and we all get out there where the real world begins Monday morning and is where we say where the mop meets the floor. And we face those tests and those struggles and some of those things I'm going to talk about this morning. Without knowing the reality of the Lord in my life, I begin to question the reality of Christianity. I wouldn't share this with anybody because my dad was a pastor. I didn't want anybody to think I was wondering if I was a Christian and put that kind of blot on his testimony. But I knew within me. I was just as miserable as anybody. I wasn't smoking. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't carousing. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying within me, I don't have any more peace than the guy walking alongside me down the street that I don't know. And I knew that. When Dave died, had all of his faculties, was totally coherent. I looked into his demeanor and I said, he's got a peace. He's got a contentment. He's got a fulfillment in life, dying, that I don't have living. I turned my face up through that hospital room, raised in a Christian home, never missed church, memorized all kinds of verses, graduated from a Bible school and said, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know the reality of you in my life in the same way that I see Dave does. My heart cried out to know the meaning of God's word in my own daily living. God's word. I hold it up in my Sunday school class week after week after week and I tell my adult class I'll never apologize for holding this word up and saying this is the only truth for living. You're saying, Daryl, how could you graduate from a Bible institute and not know that? I'm going to tell you why. Are you listening? What a tremendous opportunity you have here to allow God's word to brace your life with anchors. I refer to them as anchors or underpinnings for your soul. When I went through school, I studied the Word, but I studied it to pass my tests. And I studied it to be able to debate controversial issues and speak intelligently with the Mormons and so on and so forth. My own admittance is, I can't remember in those cherished days if I could only go back to where you are today. And having that prime time of my life to sit through class and open God's Word, and more than anything else, ask God's work, Word to pierce my life with convictions for the rest of my life. I missed that and was a graduate with two degrees of a Bible school. And for the first time, I said, God, I want to experience the reality of Your Word in my life. I could quote it, but I didn't know it. I'd learned a language, not a life. I had, as you might say, a bit of an educated intellect after five years. 
but experienced really nothing of a transformed personality. And seeing Dave die with that peace I didn't have living, I began to consider for the first time the brevity and the frailty of this one life. And I began to ask these questions. Just my heart began to beg God to answer these questions for me. What really counts for eternity? Just a general question. I got one life to live. I could be there. I could have two weeks left. I don't know. What really counts for eternity? What should my purpose in life be? I remember 16, 17 years ago speaking at a keynote at one of our national conventions. A little phrase that I read, and I've never forgot it to this day. It went like this quote. Man's saddest hour in life is when he compares his diary with what he had hoped it would say. I didn't even intend to memorize it. It just hit me like that. And I said, would to God that I won't complete my one life's opportunity journey through my life and regret what my life's diary says. What really counts for eternity? Will I live my career life in vain? Vain. Now, you've got to put on my shoes. I'm out here in a career. Let me set the scene further. My father is a pastor. He's been in the ministry all of his life. My twin brother is a pastor. He's been in the ministry all of his life. My uncle is a pastor. He's been in the ministry all of his life. And two of his three boys are in the pastorate. And they've been there all of their lives. Pretty easy to feel like the black sheep. I remember as long as I can remember. I don't know where I got this. But thinking of Christians as being divided into two castes. The high caste and the low caste. Don't ask me where I got it. I just grew up with it. The high caste were those Christians in, quote, full-time Christian service. And in that, I put pastors and evangelists and missionaries. The low caste, those that just couldn't get there, or everyone else in careers. And so I fought my career. I struggled with the rightness of being in business. I slapped a fish sticker on my bumper and drove it to work and away from work and wondered if that would help out a little bit. Didn't make me feel much better about it. I introduced a Bible study once a week in my office and invited those that wanted to come to come, thinking, well, maybe this is my ministry to hold a Bible study. Didn't satisfy me with regards to really feeling that there was eternal value in my career where I was today. So what am I doing? I'm continuing to look everywhere but where I am for a ministry. Where should I go? What should I do? Can I be in business and be a Christian? I asked that question. You might think it's stupid. I'm just telling you, I asked that question one day. Can I really be in business and be a Christian? My heart desired desperately to be what God wanted me to be as a result of the testimony of my dying cousin's life. 
If I can be in business and be a Christian, can I glorify God? And if so, how? Didn't like what I was doing. Didn't enjoy my work. Didn't even consider that God would have me to continue to do what I was doing. I thought, I'm going to go get some good advice. I jumped on Air California, flew up to Northern California, told my dad about my dilemma. said, Dad, I want you to know I'm going to go back to Biola. I'm going to share this with one of the professors back at school. I'm going to share this with everybody I know. I said, the Lord has really spoken to my heart about serving Him in this life. But I don't know where. I really don't know what that means. But I want to be what God wants me to be. And I said, Dad, I came up here to get your counsel. And to make, tell you the long and short of what he told me, he said, Daryl, I'm going to counsel you on the basis of God's Word to go back and give your best right at what you're doing. And if God wants to move you, He'll move you. I'll never forget those words. Now, I didn't like them at the time. You understand what I heard? I flew up to hear my dad say, go back and be a better janitor than you've ever been. Go back and give your best to glorify God right at what you're doing. But at the time, that was so unsatisfying. I went back and I said, you know, as dear as my dad is, this is so important to me. It was almost like a plague. It, it had consumed me. I must know what God's will for my life is. I can't live another day with the possibility that I could be where Dave is and have wasted my life. So I turned to the absolute source. I went into my office and I got my Bible out, two or three versions. And I didn't, want to, I didn't want to take this from any man. I wanted to understand this from God. The, the whisper of His Spirit in my heart as He energized His Word in my own life. And I'll tell you, young people, I began to see something in God's Word that began to just set my heart so free. Many times tears just dropped down out of my eyes. As I began to study in terms of what is God's will for my life. This is what I began to see. I'm going to give you some verses to write down. And this became so meaningful to me that I went back and put it on the first page in the inside cover of my Bible. That's where it is today. I have it about half a dozen other places. You talk about an anchor from my soul. You talk about why I can come out of my business office this morning and drive up here in my career with this kind of enthusiasm and this kind of excitement and this kind of confidence... It's because of these verses that, have, that the Spirit of God has gripped my life with. For me, it began with Galatians 6.20. Therefore, what? Two words. Glorify God. I began to follow up and say, but what does it mean to glorify God? And as I began to study through the New Testament, this is what I saw. And the first place I saw it was in 1 Thessalonians 2.12, where Paul says, quote, Therefore, walk Worthy of your calling. Walk worthy of your calling. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 I continued to study and I saw over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4.1, just two chapters over. Again, he says to the Thessalonians, I'm counseling you on, quote, how you ought to walk. 
Now, I want you to listen here and see if he's talk, telling them where they should go or how they should walk where they are. Walk worthy of your calling, how you ought to walk. I kept going over in 2 Corinthians 2.15. Paul encourages the Corinthians to be, quote, a fragrance of Christ. Does that tie in with what I refer to as a worthy walk? A fragrance of Christ. In Ephesians 4.1, Paul said to the Ephesians, quote, Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Walk worthy. In Philippians 1.27, Paul said to the Philippians, Conduct, quote, and I'm quoting, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. In Colossians 1.10, he said to the Colossians, Walk. My, what a difference the W on the front of that four-letter word made as I considered it versus a T. I want to tell you, from 25 years of being in business, young people, it's a whole lot easier for me to teach a Bible study Wednesday noon, talk worthy, than it is to come to grips with what it means to walk worthy as an employer Monday through Friday. I want to tell you, young people, it's a whole lot easier for me to come here this morning and speak to you for 45 minutes and, quote, talk worthy than it is to go back at noon today, and I can say this because it's out of the area, and meet with an eight-year, tenured employee that I led to the Lord in my business four years ago. And when I leave here, I'm meeting at 12.30 and we're discussing the possibility of him not continuing with the business. It's a whole lot easier for me to speak here. It's a whole lot easier for me to teach my adult Sunday school class than it is to consider and come to grips with what it means to walk worthy in that kind of discussion. Walk in a manner worthy to please him in all respects. Colossians 1.10 As I was continuing to consider these verses, one of my closest friends, vice presidents, has been with me for 13 years. We happened to slip out for lunch one day. And I was just every morning taking an hour and pouring over God's Word and saying, God, show me your calling upon my life. Where should I go? And the more I read, God says, I don't want you to go anywhere right now. I'm talking to you about what I want you to be, where you are. I never understood that before. And as we went to lunch, the dear brother in the Lord, Dick and I were talking about this verse, walk worthy. And he took a napkin. I can still remember the restaurant where we were sitting. And he took a napkin. He says, Daryl, let's, let's really get, let's deal with this. Let's get down to the, we talk about the bottom line in regards to this. The scripture here is encouraging. It's imploring us to walk worthy. It seems to be addressing more how I walk than where I walk. And I'd never seen that before. I've spent most of my life asking the Lord where I should go versus what I should be where I am. Consequently, I must admit to you, 
for the first 10 years of my career, I can go down and give a beautiful testimony at CBMC, but my Jerusalem stinks. As we sat there, he took out a napkin and he drew a circle. <laughs> I just, it's just so vivid to me. It was just like this whole ceiling is, was fluorescent tubes. This is a pretty good sized room. And it was just like in the restaurant, it, this whole ceiling would just light up. It was, it was that bright of a truth that went on to me. As we sat there, he drew a circle and he says, Daryl, let's look at our day in terms of a pie. So we drew a circle on the napkin. And he said, now let's put walk worthy up here over the day. That's, that's our calling. We've seen it about 25 places in Scripture. To walk worthy, to glorify God in the way I act, where I act. So we drew this pie. And he says, now we're going to have to slice out about eight hours. That's sleep time. And I'm not sure how you walk worthy when you sleep. Let's leave that alone this morning. We got, we got uh, 16 hours left of walk worthy opportunity. Where do I spend most of that 16 hours? Where do I spend it? Where are you going to spend it? When you leave here, where are you going to spend the majority of that 16 hours? On your work, at your career. You're going to spend four or five of it at home. You're going to, you might diagram and you've got a little wedge there, social time. But you've got this big wedge, eight or ten hours, called career. Now, I'm not prioritizing any wedge. The Scripture doesn't prioritize any wedge. It doesn't say walk more worthy in your home than it says walk worthy in your career. It just says, I implore you to walk worthy where you walk. And it was like the ceiling lit up. I said, you mean God's calling upon my life is to have a ministry through walking worthy, which really is walking differently than anyone else walks. You get, in, you get in and start studying God's Word as you get out there in your careers and ask Him what a worthy walk is in this area, in this area, in this area, and it'll be different than the way the world says to walk in that area, I can guarantee you. You mean God desires for me to have a ministry to people through the way I walk, through the testimony of my walk? And for all these years, I've just been thinking of my business is kind of something on the side, and my ministry is when I go give my testimony somewhere. My ministry is my Sunday school class. You begin to see the lights that I saw? God's will is that I walk worthy, not just talk worthy, where I walk. Now, it was amazing. Because my first conclusion, when I began to understand that, was, well, I do. <laughs> I went into business saying, quote, I want to be able to give more. I thought that would help me justify being in business. God's got me in business so I can make money to give to the church, support missionaries, so on and so forth. Show me that in Scripture. I look for that. I'm not saying you can't use that, but I can show you 15 to 1 verses where it talks more about my walk than it talks about how much money I can give. But I want to tell you young people, it was easier for me to give a hundred bucks here and a hundred bucks here than to deal with my walk. I went into business saying, I want to be able to give more. Yet years later, as I began to study God's word in light of a worthy walk, I found that I'd kept more than I'd given. I went into business saying, 
Quote, I want a ministry to people. That made me feel good going into business. I want a ministry to people. End of quotes. But a few years later down the track, found myself wanting to quit because of them. You get the chasm between my walk and my talk? Literal. Grand Canyon. My very reason for getting involved in business, I want a ministry to people, very soon became my excuse for wanting to quit. Can't stand people. Create too many problems. Too much frustration. I used to say, money doesn't motivate me, quote. But I found out that not having enough does. I went into business out of college saying, I'm just trusting the Lord. As I got into God's Word and began to seek what it meant to walk worthy, He began to expose me to chasm after chasm between that talk and my walk. And I found where I'd been saying, I'm just trusting the Lord, I'm really worried about getting new business and keeping the old continually. I went into business saying, I want to do all for the glory of God. That's what I said. I really thought I meant it. But God's Word continued to expose me to the fact that I was really doing most of what I was doing for the strokes of the folks. Or for the raise and the praise. I continued to study God's Word to understand such basic walks Worthy walks as these. How to walk worthy collecting receivables. Young people, let me tell you. I am thrilled. I am thrilled with the opportunity you have to be wherever you are today, tomorrow, the next day. And turn to God's Word and begin to seek, begin to ask Him, begin to beg of Him to show you and help you understand what it means to walk worthy in a way that's going to glorify God where you walk. And the testimony that God is going to give you wherever you are that the church will never reach as a result of that. I continue to say, turn to God's Word and ask these kind of questions. What does it mean to walk worthy in terms of collecting receivables? You say you mean God's Word speaks to that? Yes, it does. It's the most practical Book, there is. I turned to God's Word and said, what is a worthy walk in regards to employee job reviews? I hold those all the time. How do I glorify God in terminating an employee? Can you? Can you fire an employee who's not doing the job in a way that glorifies God? What's a worthy walk right there? That's real mop meat in the floor stuff. Because that's where I live. How do you glorify God in handling a customer complaint? What's a worthy walk in dealing with a disgruntled customer? How do I glorify God? What's a worthy walk as a husband? Not talk. What's a worthy walk? One foot in front of another as a husband, as a father, an employer. My conclusion as I continue to pour over God's Word and cry out to know His will and to see that it was that I walk worthy where I was. I concluded that God's will is not just a place, but it's a being. And God's Word has far more to say about how I walk 
than where I walk. Don't take it from me, young people. If I can just whet your appetite to go dig this out for yourself, then these truths will become your nuggets. I can share truth, but I can't give you one of my nuggets. God's Word has far more to say about how I walk than where I go walk. How I do what I'm doing than where I go do. In all of those New Testament books, as I read, I didn't see Paul telling everybody to quit everything they were doing and go do something else. He continued to encourage them to walk worthy doing what they were doing. God's Word has more to say about who I am than where I am. How I conduct myself, my influence for God, right where I find myself. Now, I want to share with you, our time's running out, just a few minutes, but I want to share with you a tandem truth that you've got to put to bed. And this was the first truth, together with this, as I was studying through Proverbs, that I saw as well, that literally set me free, together with this worthy walk where I walk, in terms of this being God's will for my life. And I don't have time to develop this. It would take several hours. But I want you to dig, and I want the Holy Spirit to burnish this nugget in your life. Because, this is my testimony this morning, coming 25 years out of business, here this morning, the greatest anchor for my life, for my soul, the greatest discovery, truth in all of God's Word, second only to the fact that Jesus died to save me, is this one. And I saw it for the first time in Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, which says this in nugget form. If my greatest priority is God's will, I'm in it. Proverbs 2, 1 to 10, in nugget form, said this to me. After spending hours camping on that passage... If my heartbeat is to be where God wants me to be, I am. Now, following that, I listed another 20 verses following that passage throughout God's Word. And in the last 15 years, I've seen that confirmed time and time again. Romans 8.14, Paul says that we are, quote, being led by the Spirit of God. Not will be led. But we are being led by the Spirit of God. In Psalm 37, 23, wise men's, quote, steps are ordered by the Lord. In Proverbs 2, verses 1 to 10, Solomon says, if, 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 in the first four, four verses, three ifs. It's one continuing thought. There are no periods in the first four verses. If, if, if. And the thing that he's continuing to compound is, if. You seek God's wisdom more than anything else. If you incline your heart to God's wisdom, if you desire it more than silver or gold, if your greatest priority is God's will, if that's your heartbeat, verse 5 starts with this word, then. Verse 9 starts with this word, then. You will discover righteousness, justice, equity, and every good course. And if you go into God's Word, you're going to see that God's Word gives you the assurance 
that if you desire to be where God wants you to be, God has you right where He wants you to be today and tomorrow and the next day. And God's will is not something you have to hunt for the rest of your life and worry whether you've ever found it or not. Praise God for that truth. Because that truth has set me free 15 years ago. Now, when you take a heartbeat to be what God wants you to be where you are, you come to Scripture and the rest of Scripture deals with a more weighty issue, which is, how does God want me to walk right where I am? As long as Satan can keep our eyes on where we should be instead of what we should be, he's got most of us Christians, and I just came out the freeway, so I'm very familiar with this, slapping fish stickers on our bumpers and then running everyone else off the road. Young people, when you get out into the business world, your heart is going to cry like mine to meet a handful of Christians who have a heart's desire not to continue to leapfrog from place to place and leave stink everywhere they've been, but to be what God wants them to be right where they are. I concluded, praise God, God's will for me today, tomorrow, and the rest of my life, young people, I am set free. God's will is for me to bring glory to God by allowing God's Word daily to teach me, convict me, and energize me right where I am in regards to a worthy walk, right where I walk. Does it hurt? Tears me up to see sometimes what God's Word points out. But I've also learned that growth in my life begins at the point of being exposed by God's Word to what I'm not. Praise God. My ministry is my career. That's my ministry. God has called me to full-time Christian career service. No doubt in my mind. God has called me to full-time Christian living right where I live. Young people, our world simply has. I'm telling you this from coming from here this morning. Yesterday, the day before. And anybody who's been there for 25 years would stand up and say the very same thing. Our world simply has too few career men and women who are attracting others to Christ through their walk. America simply needs to see more sermons out in our careers. I want to close with this example. I had a gal in my employ. She was in our accounting department who didn't know the Lord. She had begun to come to my Bible study. She asked if she and her husband could come in for marriage counseling. Did I have any training in marriage counseling? No. Did I think I'd be involved in marriage counseling? No, I don't have the time to go into how I even got here. I just am. Isn't God great? I just am. Don't ask me how I got here. I didn't talk about how I got here because I can't tell you. I just am. She said, can we come in and see you? She brought in her husband. And before I began to discuss their problems, I took the opportunity to share what God had done in my life.
in my own marriage. You see, if I had the time to share with you, I met my young lady right where some of you will meet your young lady right here. And the reason I married her was because I thought I could never live the rest of my life without her. About three years later, we both began to wonder how we could ever live the rest of our lives with each other. You put three life-size bears, guys, in your wife's living room three years after you get married and see what she wonders. I shared my testimony with this couple. The only way I was introduced to this couple was she happened to be in our employ, didn't know the Lord, never attended church. He never attended church. He called me that afternoon after they left. And he says, Daryl, can I come back in and talk to you? And I said, maybe. What do you want to talk about? He says, I want to talk about what you said about the Lord. And I said, still maybe. I said, let me make this clear, bud. I said, the Lord isn't interested in any patchwork. He had a real desire to keep his marriage together. And I said, he says, I said, the Lord isn't interested in just playing games to hold your marriage together. If you want to talk to me about a personal relationship with Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that's prime time as far as I'm concerned. But I don't have time to play other games to hold your marriage together because it won't work. He says, Daryl, that's what I'm really interested in. I said, come in this afternoon. He came in. Now, I'm going to tell you. I had to sit him a distance on the other side of my desk because the liquor on his breath was so strong. Construction guy who'd taken time off, walked in his construction clothes, never met him, never even knew that he existed, never darkened the door of a church. He says, Daryl, I want to know more about what you said about Jesus. I shared with him the plan of salvation. He got down on his knees in my business office at about 3.15 in the afternoon and I got over there and I helped him pray his first prayer to receive Christ. He got up off his chair. I'll never forget this as long as I live. He got up off his chair and he looked at me and he said these words. This is out there in the career, folks, that I'm talking about. He said, Daryl, quote, I've been trying to find God now for several years and just didn't know how. That fellow is happily married in a good church with his family in the church. I see him about once a month, every two months. Would to God that many will see Christ through your walk, wherever you walk, and afford you the eternal blessing of helping them find Him. Thank you.